You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. It's Tuesday the 15th of February. Up bright and early today. Thanks to Tom for his work yesterday. He and Dave Yates spoke quite extensively about that Sir Mark Todd viral video that had attracted so much attention. And an alternative perspective on that is offered later in this show by David Redvers, the well-known stallion master, bloodstock agent and bloodstock advisor to Sheikh Farhad Al Thani, who is this week's Weatherby's bloodstock guest. Elsewhere, we are waiting for what's going to happen through the next few hours or so. A verdict on whether Medina Spirit keeps the 2021 Kentucky Derby could be imminent after a hearing was held yesterday. This was news that was broken by Ron Flatter on Horse Racing Nation. He had contacted Clark Brewster, the attorney representing Medina Spirit's trainer Bob Baffert, who said to him, we finished at the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission. All went very well. We gave them much to consider. So news may well be breaking as you listen to this podcast. News will also be emerging of exactly which horse is going to carry what weight in the most famous handicap, the most famous steeplechase, perhaps one of the most famous races anywhere in the world, the Randox Grand National, due to be held this year on April the 9th at Aintree, and that's where I'm off to today for the unveiling of those weights. Jane Mangan joins me. Uh, Jane, the British handicapper, is always under significant scrutiny. What poses him the biggest problems this year? Well, of the 107 initial entries, the main one I would consider difficult is Easy's Land because much of his best form has been that uh, different discipline, a cross-country discipline when trained in France. And now, in under the care of John Joe O'Neill, he's had one run over regulation fences and he's pulled up top of the market and probably one of the top weights is going to be Galvin because He's a horse that's on many people's list for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. He's quite a classy individual. But last year's third, any second now. He ran off 10-9 last year. It'll be interesting to see what allocation he gets. Snow Leopardess winner last weekend. Will her mark move from 145? She went into a conditions race last week. Uh, expect that to move. And Noble Yates, we've just learned that the Emmett Mullins trained Noble Yates has been acquired by the Whaley Cohn family. We know the record that Sam Whaley Cohn has over the green evergreen fences. He's acquired Noble Yates, I'd imagine, with this race in mind. Of the horses that are entered at this stage, Jane, which one interests you the most um, as a betting proposition? Any second now is probably no value in the market, but I do believe he was quite unlucky last year. Last year's winner, Manila Times, will be on many a sentimentality list, um, having you know, rewritten the history books last year and in in no uncertain terms helped ITV Racing win their broadcast award last week because that was just a momentous occasion last April. Um, I like Ascaria 10. He's a horse that will stay very well. We saw that in the National Hunt Chase behind Galvin and Next Destination last year and the Mayor Mount Ida. Um, she's likely to go for the Mayor's Chase at Cheltenham according to her trainer, Gordon Elliott, but she's definitely on the improve. She was a... Uh, a surprise winner, somewhat of a surprise winner last year at the Cheltenham Festival, having almost detached herself through the early part of the race. I think in the Kim Muir, Jack Kennedy was one of those inspired rides. And we can't conclude the Aintree Grand National talk without mentioning 
the dual champion, Tiger Roll. So Tiger Roll, dual previous winner of the race, didn't run last year because connections were unhappy with the weight he was allotted. Duly, he went and bolted up again at the Cheltenham Festival, albeit in a cross-country discipline. But he, he is a specialist discipline horse now, either cross-country racing or or the Grand National fences. So what's Greenwood, Martin Greenwood, the senior BHA handicapper, to do? Is he to bend or is he just to stay and ignore the surround sound? Did anybody really expect him to perform over regulation fences in Grade One company at Aintree last year? No. Um, but look, twelve-year-olds have proved in the past that they can do it. Amberley House did it in two thousand four. Royal Athlete and Little Polliver in the past as well. But I think um, I think he's just got to rate Tiger Roll as Tiger Roll, and if he drops him a few pounds, I still wouldn't ignore this horse. Obviously, the cross country at Cheltenham is his next assignment, but let's not forget. This horse comes alive over the evergreens. Well, Jane, you'd like to think that news around the beginning of April, end of March is going to be dominated by the build-up to the Grand National. Might not be this time because Robbie Dunn has had a date set for his appeal against the findings of and penalty imposed by the Independent Disciplinary Panel into those charges of bullying and harassment of Bryony Frost. And that date is Wednesday the 30th of March. It's an entirely new panel and that is Anthony Boswood, a very experienced QC. Lord Rath Creedon, who's been a, a regular local steward and panel chair down the years. And Jeremy Phillips. And that will be held in the offices of the British Horse Racing Authority. So it could well be that we are concentrating on more than one racing news story around about Grand National time. We've had extensive coverage of the initial hearing. Robbie Dunn hasn't ridden since December 5th. He's appealing and he's entitled to do that. I suppose there's never really a good time. And I hope the narration around the appeal doesn't detract from the action on the track. Uh, just a, a couple of notes as regards uh, the the flat. News came through today that Snow Lantern, that very talented filly, the winner of the Falmouth Stakes last year, has been retired to stud. I, I was rather disappointed by this news, Jane. What was your reaction? Similar. I thought she had much more to offer. And um, I suppose the announcement, the timing of the announcement would suggest perhaps she had stayed in training through the winter and it was uh, not the initial plan. But she's, you know, she kind of struck me as a filly that perhaps we didn't see the best of. I know she won the Falmouth. She was brilliant that day, got a brilliant ride from Sean Levy that day where she beat Mother Earth, Alcohol Free and Lady Bothorp. But you know, when she was second to Alcohol Free in the coronation at Ascot, she felt like she was a little bit hard done by. She was often a bit keen, over-raced. Um, and because she had to be held up, didn't always have the rub of the green through the run. So uh, Snow Lantern was one of those fillies. Perhaps, despite already being a Group 1 winner, you, you thought there was still more to come. But two very useful horses do stay in training next year. Yeah, we, we've learned from Chivley Park that Sacred, the Nell Gwynn winner at Ascot, where she beat Saffron Beach. She, we didn't see her at the Breeders' Cup, but she does stay in training for William Haggis. Of course, she won and beat the Colts in the Hungerford as well at Newbury. Um, she's a Group 2 winner, and I think there's definitely a Group 1 within her grasp if if placed correctly. I think 7 to a mile will be interesting to see her over those distances this year. And search for a song, surprisingly enough, because it's not often you see... A homebred operation keep a six-year-old mayor in training, particularly with the pedigree that she has, being a sister to Sapphire and Falcon Eight, and of course Free Eagle. But she stays in training for Dermot Weld, who I'm sure will be pretty pleased. And um, she's she's been a very good filly for the yard. She probably has never got the credit she deserves, but as a six-year-old now, that did strike me as a surprise. 
And Jane, Tom and Dave covered the racing at Newbury quite extensively on yesterday's podcast. What about what was happening in Ireland over the weekend and any potential clues that we might have missed? I was in Punchestown on Sunday and I think we saved the best to last. There was a horse called James's Gate, won the bumper. Now, pre-race, the talk was very strong. There's often talk on a bumper, but this was something something different. And um, despite his inexperience, he basically made all and he was extremely impressive. William Mullins indicating post-race that he will go to Cheltenham, despite the fact that he's only had one run. Um, C.L. Deneige was good in the two-mile novice chase. I don't know if he'll be uh, considered an Arkell candidate because, you know, Willie Mullins has many in that repertoire, but it'll be up to J.P. McManus whether he opts to go there. I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed at home for uh, the Fairy House races. Two Cheltenham horses that might have thrown their hat into the cross-country ring, Midnight Maestro and Shady Operator. Not unusual for Enda Bulger to have a 1-2 in that discipline. Um, but it just wouldn't surprise me if that James's gate was a sleeper in the in the champion bumper. William Mullins often saddles a, quite an army in that race. Uh, but because we have very little to go on with him, he's not going to have prob- likely not to have another run before Cheltenham. Um, and obviously with Fasal Vega being a talking horse, this guy could slip under the radar. More from Jane in just a few moments' time. But first of all, we go around the bloodstock world because it is Tuesday with our friends at Weatherby's, their global stallion app and the excellent stallion book in which you'll find all the stallions housed by Tween Hills Farm and Stud in Gloucestershire. The stallion master and proprietor is, of course, the now very familiar David Redvers. Familiar not just for his exploits as a stallion master, but also as the right hand of Sheikh Farhad Al Thani. Uh, he has also in recent days been quite outspoken on the Samark Todd situation, more of which later in this interview. But first of all, I began by asking him where Tween Hills all began. Oh, crikey, yeah, that's quite a way. Um, well, it was my, um, my mother's family farm when uh, and I came home in 1995-96 and set it up as a farm with um, a stud farm. My ambition had always been to stand stallions and I managed to buy a Hunter Improvement Stallion called um, Afsal, who'd started to get a, I think I paid £8,000 for him, and um, and a couple of a couple of fillies, one of which turns up being Lady Rebecca, and we um, uh, we got up and going from a very small, very small, very low cost base. You make it sound so straightforward. I mean, for those who, who don't remember, Lady Rebecca cost you, remind us, was it 400 quid? Yeah, yeah, 400, 400 guineas at uh, Donkston November sale. She went on to win 13 races, including three Grain One races. And Afsal himself, so you bought him as a Hunter Improvement Stallion. So people weren't really expecting to be producing racehorses by him, but he was a thoroughbred. And he produced a Grade One winner, didn't he? Didn't he produce a Felton Novice Chase winner? Yeah, he, he produced two, actually. Brown Hall and Billy Goats Gruff, both trained by David Nicholson. So it's actually quite nice, sort of full circle, because Graham McCourt, who rode him to win an Aintree hurdle or a Liverpool hurdle, um, has been working at the farm for the last 10 or so years um, now obviously you'll all, all your listeners will remember him probably more famously for Norton's Coin um, being one of the greatest um, journeyman jockeys uh, but uh, yeah no so it's sort of it's come round but we started off with him and um, and then I quite quickly realised that uh, if I really wanted to achieve anything great uh, I was going to have to go the flat route Um and um, and so that's the route we went, and thank God it sort of worked out with a few ups and downs along the way. Uh, and so, how important to you was um, meeting Sheikh Farhad Al Thani? Where was your where was your life and career at when you when you encountered him? 
Uh, we were we'd, we'd hit a low ebb big time. Um, I've been I've had two leading first season sires in Lucky Story and Ishiguru. Um, to one lucky story the, the Dali team very kindly sent to me um, he had Art Connoisseur won the Coventry in his first crop and and Ishiguru had Hal in his first crop also won the Coventry so we, we had two really exciting young stallions and in the space of three or four months both of them passed away lucky story had a massive heart attack while asleep in the paddock and, uh, and Ishiguru had a mm, farting around in the paddock managed to break a knee and um it was uh, it was a very low ebb i was deeply depressed i decided to go off to new zealand um to the to the yearling sales because i liked the concept of their ready to run sales and the fact you might spot some talent and, and flick them back through and you had several options to get out um so while i was over there i got a message from my little sister saying that there was a, a friend of hers who had a young shake who wanted to buy a racehorse and would I come back? And I um, and I flew back almost immediately from New Zealand, um, and I, I managed to meet Sheikh Fahad at a hotel in London, and immediately saw that he was, you know, brimming with enthusiasm and excitement with the project. And I then had to to work <laughs> out how to manage that and make sure that we got the best results. I mean, it would be here all day if we if we went through everything that you've achieved since. But that Melbourne Cup with Duna Den and Simple Verse and the St Ledger winner and Just the Judge and Lightning Pearl and Lightning Spear and so on and on on the list goes. Um, did you think then he was in it for keeps, or did you think, well, might be a couple of good years? No, my ambition was always to ensure that he was in it for keeps, um, and obviously that's always going to be slightly result based. But the journey we went on was was you know, such an exciting one. We had so many shared, you know, interests, and uh, it was all such fun that uh, and continues to be that we've uh, that we've we've I think made a very good team. And um, I also I have to say gathered a very very good team around us um, from everyone in in my office and, and in the Qatar office. They're all great friends, doing a, a really great job, and he very much sees us all as family i think um i certainly hope okay so this is where we combine the the sort of sharp business that you're talking about and making sure that you get it right with the sentimentality you were talking about earlier because roaring lion died after covering just one uh, european based crop he was a great favorite of yours so he should have been and shake farhad he won multiple group ones he was european champion and you got a ton of his uh, of his crop so so what do you do we're racing quite a lot this year um, I think there's somewhere over 32, 31, 32, 33, something like that. Um, Two-year-olds gone into training. Um, we've gone out of our way, I think, to ensure that you know, if, if there is a son and heir that can replicate him, that we, we will have it. And yes, there is an element of, of that being yeah, an emotional reaction to losing him. But equally, he was... You know, this isn't this wasn't any horse. This was a little bit like, I suppose, Sheikh Mohammed in Dubai Millennium, but on a on a lesser scale. This was the best horse we've ever had. It's one of the best horses we've seen in the last ten years, and um, and his pedigree, his physique, the whole lot all makes perfect sense that he will be a good stallion. And so far, on what we're hearing from the people that have got them, they they certainly love them. And and of course, you still stand Kamiko, your guineas winner by by Kitten's Joy. He's got his first foals this year, but a horse with his first Northern Hemisphere two-year-olds this year, Zoo Star, is going to be 
um, catching an awful lot of eyes in the early part of the season, I would have think, or everyone will be watching out for how he gets on, having done so well in Australia. Um, our friends at Fitzdares have introduced him into their first season sire market, uh, even though technically he's he's already had runners, so he's got a bit of a head start. Um, how confident are you that he is going to do everything that he's done down under in the Northern Hemisphere? Well, I think that the problem is talking to a stallion master about how confident they are about their stallion's first runners is you know, a recipe for the same. It doesn't matter who you talk to, you're going to get pretty much the same message about this, whatever horse they stand. The difference with this horse is, as you say, he's already done it down south. Um, he's um, he's absolutely on... on on a, on a on a unbelievably upward trajectory down there, the best is all unfolding in front of him because he's got his better crops running down there, having been the record-breaking first season sire that he was, and um, as a result of that, obviously he got lots of better mares came in in the following two or three seasons, and and uh, the whole thing's looking very rosy indeed, which is why his yearlings averaged four hundred and thirty thousand dollars at um, Magic Millions the other day, which is a phenomenal return on investment uh, <clears throat> so there you know i it's a bit of a it would be a surprise to me if he wasn't you know doesn't replicate it here rather than a surprise if he did and uh, and i have to say i was very grateful to Fitzstairs for adding him to the market and allowing me to have a thumping big bet David, you've become a significant industry voice in the last decade as well, in, in part because of your association with Sheikh Farhad and with Kipco and sponsorships of major races, involvement on, on a number of uh, racing committees trying to drive the sport forward, heavily involved in what was initially racing for change and and then uh, subsequently Great British Racing and the British Champion Series. Um, and you quite often put your head above the parapet and occasionally swim against the tide. You did so again this week in relation to the uh, Sir Mark Todd video that was discussed on the podcast yesterday with Tom uh, and Dave. And you, you you took a slightly different stance on it, perhaps, to to quite a few in the, in the industry. What, what's your feeling on it? Well, f- firstly, I, I would I would state very clearly that this is my... Mrs. Me talking, not Sheikh Fad, and I haven't even discussed the, the matter with Sheikh Fad at all. Um, and he might be appalled by my stance on it. So I, I, I want to separate mm. him and me from from this. So uh, you know, so this is definitely a, a, a David Redvers and Tween Hills view. Not um, when I say Tween Hills, I just mean David Redvers actually, because I haven't even I haven't even quizzed the rest mm. of my team. Yeah, all all, all views, all views, my own, etc. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, exactly, all views, my own. Um, Mark Todd is, is one of the most extraordinary horsemen we've seen in the last yeah, 30, 40 years. Um, what he's done and what he's achieved and, and the empathy he has with the, with the horse uh, is something that you know any fellow horseman can see and, and witness and, and recognise. Uh, or, or horsewoman, sorry. Um, the, the, the bit that upset me was the, the shouts of cruelty. Um, my understanding and take on cruelty is that it's deriving pleasure from some something else's pain, another sentient being's pain, and and I don't believe that's what we witnessed. I believe that what we witnessed was a a man training a horse to do something that it didn't want to do, and uh, and yes, it looked ugly because he didn't he wasn't using the right tools, um, and but also that it has to be taken in context. That horse was convinced that the water in front of it was full of, I don't know, a shoal of piranhas or something. And it, it had to perceive that the 
what was behind it was more upsetting than what was in front of it. So they then realised that actually there weren't a, a, a shoal of piranhas or sharks in the water when it got into it, and it was all perfectly fine, and overcame, overcame its fear. Yes, he gave it a smack, but you can't always, with with horses, get away with just giving them a carrot. You know that all training of of animals involves a certain level of both stick and carrot. Um, and yes, you know I, we've all said I'm quite certain that if Sir Mark had to do that again, he wouldn't have rushed to do it. But equally, the moment had to be seized when the moment came, and the horse had a. You, know, you can't give it a smack two minutes later. It had to be given a smack there and then because the rider wasn't strong enough to do that themselves. A good, strong rider would have got hold of that horse, given it two smacks down the shoulder and a kick in the belly, and it probably would have gone. The girl in question was clearly young, inexperienced, not very strong, and was, was there specifically for a clinic to try and learn and improve. But Sir Mark decided to step in and, and use a bit more force and I know that, that it looks bad. I totally get people being uh, very upset about the fact that they feel it paints, you know, on the modern day, um, a bad picture on, uh, on, on horsemanship. And it certainly reflects badly on racing, even though it has to be stated, again, this wasn't a racehorse. This wasn't racehorse training. This was a very different discipline, which involves encouraging horses to do some very strange things from dressage to cross-country um, and show jumping, where horses are expected to put themselves in a position that no normal racehorse would do so without a, a huge amount of, um, you know, training, a specific training. So it's, a, I, I suppose, why I got upset and decided to put my head above the parapet was that I, there was nothing cruel about this and the the people who i feel should know better who consider themselves guardians of the sport were very quick to, to shout cruelty and jump up and down and, and make a lot of noise and actually you know there's a healthy debate to be had around training horses and and the techniques used here that can be done in an open platform where people can can talk back and forth at detail and debate it as has been done on one or two other good podcasts since the, um, you know, unfortunately, Twitter was more fool me for engaging in it on Twitter, where, of course, you have a limited number of characters and um, an and awful lot of people on that particular medium want to shout outrage, uh, want to shout offended, um, and, and feel they can throw slurs about people's characters around like confetti because they're mostly hidden from view. And um, so, yes, I did. I did jumped to the man's defence, if not his actions on that occasion, but simply because I felt it needed better understanding. Uh, David Red was there, Jane, and, and he offering an alternative view on the on the Mark Todd uh, affair, which I think will will run will run a little. What's your position on this? Yeah, but David was giving an experienced horseman's view. I have so much respect for Sir Mark Todd, and this doesn't dissipate that. He acknowledged himself that it was you know, something that he, sh- you know, shouldn't really have happened. Uh, I don't think anybody in any walk of life should ever have an excuse as regards the camera being there. I think we have to now conduct ourselves as if the camera is always on. That that should just be the standard we set for each other. I don't like to draw comparisons between the Elliot case and this case. They're different 
circumstances are different. And uh, I am a small bit surprised that we haven't heard more from the BHA because they were so quick to react in the other in the other case, Mr. Mark Todd himself got on the front foot with his apology. Um, and I don't think a double Olympian gets to where he is by being that that reckless. Personally, I don't like to see a man being completely cancelled for one particular act, but that's just my view. Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting point that I, I felt listening to David Red was there, and perhaps a point that I, I was slow to consider when immediately reacting on the Sunday show with, with sort of not much warning was let's considering the motivation. So people compare this to the, you know, the footballer who kicked the cat, which was, was clearly just sort of abject cruelty. What's the motivation for the footballer kicking the cat? The motivation is that he wants to kick the cat to make the cat react. So he's getting a laugh from his friends. What's Mark Todd's motivation here? It's nothing like that. The motivation is to get the horse to go into the water. Whether you agree with the methodology or not, there is nothing cruel about the motivation. Is that important? Is that important in this case or not? Is it simply a case of, well, what we see on that video is not acceptable to most people, therefore it shouldn't be acceptable to us, no matter uh, no matter our experience or otherwise with horses? Yeah, I, I do think the motivation is important. And I do think from licensed person's perspective, you're, you're always expected to be better and above that. And while the motivation was honest well he wanted to be productive in that clinic the way he went about it was wrong and he admitted that um and i don't think he deserves to be completely banished i've traveled over to the uk to burley and badminton to see this man ride to see his horsemanship in the flesh and um uh, i i find it i suppose it's modern culture i'm not blaming social media i'm not blaming people having an opinion everybody's entitled to their opinion but you're not entitled to completely destroy a person's achievements um and what they're really about on the back of an a, a one-off and I, I i feel strongly about that because who in any walk of life hasn't made a mistake and, and the other thing that struck me today jane was how little response there was to this being tweeted on the on the horse and hound twitter feed you know just a couple of comments whereas racing twitter has gone not nuclear but as as taken a, a view on this and it it did get me to thinking you know, unlike say 30 40 years ago where you'd have thought the the racing folk were the the slightly you know harder nosed uh, characters whether now racing feels more threatened by antagonism towards horse sport from from the outside from society in general and therefore will be quicker to condemn something like this than the equestrian world Full stop. I don't know. I'm only I'm only throwing it out there. Uh, has has racing become more more sensitive as a sport because it feels more threatened inherently? That's a valid observation. One I hadn't made myself. I do often think racing and its various branches can often fuel fires to our own detriment. That's just uh, that's another view in it. Are you hearing the dogs here? I I always hear the dogs. Oh, the dogs. Two minutes. I have to leave in the dogs. And while Jane deals with the dogs and she'll be back in a minute, I can say hello to Huey Morrison, who's just trained his 1,000th winner. And Huey, I wonder how it feels to train your 1,000th winner and your, your great dual-purpose trainer, Cheltenham Festival winners, Royal Ascot winners, all come alight, uh, lowly Catrick on a, a Monday afternoon with Miss Fairfax, the 9-4 on favourite. Yes, it's all right. It's all right. the irony. It, you know, it should have been the thousand when it should have been at Royal Ascot, shouldn't it? But that it doesn't. The world doesn't work that way. And 
I think, as I said earlier, um, yesterday, you know, it's all about, you know, you, what you think back is try and sort of think about the, the various thousand winners and the people involved, whether it's the the owner, the breeder, the, the, guy, the guy or the girl who looked after it, uh, you know, the person who wrote, wrote it out every day. You know, that's what makes the, every, every victory winner satisfactory to, I think to trainers and so I think I think that's what should be on the record is all, all the, the many people are also involved and if you were to sum up your career Huey what sort of a trainer are you yeah well I suppose I've always attracted the the traditional sort of owner breeder patient owner because I like I, I, I think if one really loves the horse and enjoys the training of horse you want them there f- for the for the long term don't you you know and although i'm pretty impatient i want you know i I love a horse as a project you know as a two-year-old look after it if uh, and if possible have it still racing at seven eight nine ten you know in one you know in with enthusiasm and that's what you know that i that's what i've always liked doing and i suppose that's what that's the sort of owner i attracted since i haven't attracted 200 horses have you taken as much pleasure from the jumpers and you know i remember the frenchman's creeks and the and the marble arches as as well as the the current stars the not so sleepies and the third winds very well have you taken as much pleasure from them as you have had the, the flat winners I think so. But, uh, you know, as I think, just mentioned, you know, the owner breeder, that all those horses you just mentioned were, were homebreds. You know, Frenchman's Creek, um, I bred, Marble Arch, Mary, my wife, bred, uh, Not So Sleepy was bred by Lord and Lady Blythe, um, Third Wind was bred by Mice Hamilton Fairley. So that always adds to the sort of satisfaction. Um, and you know, I get the Marble Arch was sort of, and Frenchman's Creek were jumpers, but the other two were definitely bred to be dual purpose, if not flat flat horses. Who do you think is the most talented horse to have passed through your hands? Um, I think talented. I think Pastoral Pursuits was a very talented horse. He must have been very talented. I think uh, other attributes for horse with a huge amount of ability must be Alcazar because he had so many serious setbacks and was still able to come through them all um, at the age of 10 and win a group one. You know, that he was an extraordinary, he is, he's still alive. He is an extraordinary horse. So, you know, there might be a horse there, you know, a telecaster who, you know, frustratingly had an injury before the arc and the everything was in, in his, in his favour with the ground. You know, he could have won an arc that year. So he was very talented too. And and I think the the thing that strikes me is it's the variety, the versatility, the, the sort of difference of all these horses that you'll it, was that, that the whole thing. I'll train anything. I'll train any type of horse to win any type of race right from the word go. Yeah, I think you know, some, you, know you get an awful lot of pleasure from winning a race with a very a very moderate horse. Um, and I, you know we've we've always kept trying to to get a win out of a horse you know maybe uh it hasn't worked out but i think you know we've spotted that when a horse is uh, what a horse's ability is and then try to get it in the right grade so it can win a race 
and and he vaguely as long as the horse can breathe and are vaguely sound they should all win a race Huey Morrison who trained his 1000th winner yesterday with Miss Fairfax Uh, Catrick Jane Mangan is still with me and she has a tip for you Yes, we're going to air into the maiden hurdle. There is an Irish contingent going across the water, and I think they could be led by the Flyer Begley for Stuart Crawford and Sam Ewing. Sam still claims £3 in the UK. He doesn't claim it all in Ireland. I think he's good value for that on the Flyer Begley at one fifty-five at air. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget, if you do enjoy this podcast, rate us and give us a review as well. And do tell your friends. And tell us anything you'd like to hear more of. And we will see you again tomorrow. Uh, That was Tuesday, the 15th of February. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm